Hey, my name's Alex, and welcome to my podcast, Alex Listens. Um, here, I aim to open your fucking third eye and decalcify your pineal gland and fucking jet fuel melting fucking steel beams and 17 days of self-isolation and, and grassy knoll and, yeah, uh, UFOs. Um, no, but I aim to talk about... Uh, philosophy and race and politics and identity and identity politics Um, but also i've realized i talk a lot about psychology because uh, at least i I mean i'm not a psychologist but um i'm i'm really depressed uh well not so much at the moment but in the past it's something that i've um had a hard time with and yeah, I talk about it and I like talking about it because it really helps. And I encourage you to talk about it if if that's something um, you experience and something you feel comfortable doing. Um, yes. Uh, okay. Hi. If we haven't met, uh, nice, nice to meet you. My name's Alex. Um, I'm sitting in Brunswick in Melbourne in Victoria in Australia. Um, and I'm by myself in the house. My mom, uh, I don't know where she's gone and yeah, um, maybe, maybe she's in the garden. I think she's in the garden. Um, yeah, so I live with my mom, uh, temporarily. I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't choose to live with my mom, uh, ever again. Um, I love my mom. I interviewed her on the podcast. Uh, you should listen to it. It's pretty funny. She's like, she's too smart for her own good. And I think that's why she's also really depressed like me. Um, I'm not saying I'm too smart for my own good, but if you want to tell me that, that's really nice. Thanks. Um, yeah. If you want to, if you want to get in touch, uh, you should, you should message me on Instagram at Alex listens. Um, I'll reply like I have, I honestly have nothing else to do with nothing better to do with my time than sit there and wait for you to reply. So please wait for you to message me. So please, please send me a message, uh, or send me an email contact at alex.co. I should probably stop asking people to send me emails because no one, I think I've received like three emails in total. Um, yeah. So follow me on Instagram and message me on there. Um, that'd be cool. Um, yeah, otherwise, uh, if you're enjoying the podcast or if this is your first time listening, um, welcome. If this is your first time listening, sorry to have to do this next thing that I'm about to do, but, um, I refuse ideologically, morally, uh, fully consciously, ethically, spiritually, politically, socially, personally, subjectively, bodily, I refuse to have ads on this podcast. Uh, I would sooner, um, I would sooner, uh, not, uh, sleep for two weeks than have ads on the podcast. Um, so yes, I won't have ads ever, but do you know what that means? Maybe you're really, maybe you're really clever and you do know what that means, but that means that, uh, I ask you to support me. Um, if this is something that you feel is worth a few dollars a month, um, and you would like to continue, like to listen, keep listening, um, 
uh, please think about supporting the podcast. Um, you can do so via Patreon um, or you can do so via PayPal. Uh, PayPal is direct. Um, I don't know. It's a bit weird. feels really transactional. Uh, Elon Musk founded PayPal. Um, there you go. Uh, or um, you can support me on Patreon. Um, and Patreon is really cool. Uh, they, it kind of, you know, allows you to choose how much, um, you want to, uh, support, uh, each month. Um, obviously only consider doing so if you're in a position of financial stability. Um, but yeah, Patreon's great. Uh, if you don't know what it is, I don't even know who you are. Um, so yeah, please think about it. Uh, and a lot of people have said to me like, oh, I, re- I, for a really long time, I've been wanting to become a patron, um, but I just haven't got around to it. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Just like, like pause the episode right now, pick up your phone, click on the link in the bio. I'll put a link to Patreon. Literally just pick up your phone, tap on the link. And then like, it takes like five seconds. And then, and then, yeah, I've got all your money and I'm going to run off with it into the horizon. Yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen. No, um, no. Think about it as if you and I now in the time of coronavirus are going to drink a tea somewhere and, and you're paying for it. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, that's enough. Um, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. Okay. So, uh, today's episode, um, is going to be about, um, the, some of the, insights into human psychology, um, which I have made, uh, and which I have, um, heard other people discussing, um, in light of the coronavirus. Um, I've already spoken about the virus a few times. Um, and this episode isn't really about the virus. It's, it's actually not about the virus itself. Um, it's yeah, as I said, it's about, I just, I think that it has um, brought to the front a lot of things that were kind of um, boiling and kind of rumbling and uh, ticking and itching and um, bubbling. Um, And all of those things have um, uh, appeared in in our faces. Um, And that's quite it's quite intimidating and it's quite strange. Um, and so I'm going to explore some of those things. Um, okay. So the first thing I am going to talk about is something that is directly linked to consciousness. Um, and it's something that really, really interests me. Um, and I'm not sure there's actually been much kind of philosophical research on this. Um, and so, or, or, you know, psychological research. Um, maybe Daniel Kahneman, uh, if he, Daniel Kahneman won the Nobel Prize for economics in the early 2000s. Um, uh, yeah, he like did behavioral psychology. Um, he did it, you know, he did behavioral psychology. He's pretty old now. Uh, um, he's a pretty incredible guy. He's not a very incredible writer. I tried to read his book, Thinking Fast and Slow, and it made me think so slowly that I went to sleep. Um, and then I never read it again. Um, but yeah, okay. I'll get onto Daniel Kahneman in a bit. Um, okay. So what, what do I mean when I say that I have made, uh, I feel like I have had something, um, 
made very clear to me with regards to consciousness. So um, think about the way the West has reacted to coronavirus. So for a long time, uh, so I guess China hasn't been great with uh, telling the rest of the world when it like when the virus actually became a concern. Um, I guess this is old news, but we found out that as in we like the, the rest of the world found out that China had been sitting on um, the virus. They knew about it a month before they said they knew about it. Um, and yeah, I guess we can only speculate as to what impact that would have made on the world. Um, probably not that much given how slowly the West and most countries have reacted. Um, but that, that's, that's the thing. Um, I think that plays the kind of slowness and tardiness and delay. I think that really, uh, that is, those are the things which have pretty much, okay, here, here's my theory. I'm going to call it, uh, Alex's, Alex's experience problem. Okay. AEP. That's the acronym. If it becomes famous, um, I'm going to patent it and, and yeah. Um, so Alex's experience problem goes something like this. I walk down the street and I hear someone say, oh, um, Okay. No, okay. So Alex walks, I walk down the street and I'm given something by, I'm given a flyer by someone who works for Oxfam and they say, um, Hey, Alex, you're, you're a cool guy. I like your podcast so much. Um, I like it so much that I'm going to tell you about this really awful thing that's happening somewhere else in the world. Um, not in Australia, but really far away, uh, either in, in, the Americas or in Europe or in Africa or you know, somewhere in Asia, something really bad is happening. Um, someone or a group of people are being impacted by this thing and they're really suffering. And, um, you can pay, like you can pay a bit and like, you know, you can pay like 2% of your income and you can alleviate the suffering from them. And he says, look, look at the flyer. And he gives me the flyer and I look at the flyer and there are, um, you know, uh, there are families in who look like they're suffering and, um, children who look like they're suffering and, um, they don't have access to w fresh water, clean water and food. Um, and I say, yeah, fuck. Um, wow. And, and then, uh, I continue walking with the flyer and with my conscience, uh, aching, um, and I think about how I'm going to go about reducing suffering because something that I truly believe is, uh, intrinsically, um, is an intrinsic part of what it means to be human is to have a, uh, to have a reluctance or to be kind of resistant to, um, the idea of yourself suffering or others suffering, um, Obviously that excludes the kind of suffering that some people might find pleasurable. Um, because, you know, people are entitled to their, as Bob Catter once said, if you don't know who Bob Catter is, look up Bob Catter sexual proclivities on YouTube and watch the video. Um, I, I promise you it's PG. Um, there's nothing. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to watch Bob Catter. Um, anyway, 
Um, yeah, so um, so I go off, I walk down the street and I think to myself, how am I going to fix this? And then, you know, I kind of get, I don't know, my mom calls me or a friend calls me and they say, hey dude, like you want to go play tennis? Or in like coronavirus season, they say, hey dude, like you want to like play like an imagination game of us playing tennis? And I say, yeah, sure. Um, and then I forget. Um, and okay, so that that's one that's one situation. The other situation is I open my front door and I see a family suffering right there, right in front of me. And they say, please give me fresh water. Please give me food. Please give us food. And I go inside. Obviously, obviously, I'd welcome them into my house. I would give them water, food. I would, they would stay. Um, I would tell my entire socials. I would tell many people about it. Um, and, uh, and I'm sure many of us would do this. We would welcome these people into our world and we would try our hardest to, um, to give them what they need to return to, uh, or to establish a kind of, um, safe existence an existence free from um the next meal being a question mark or from the next time you'll have access to water being a question mark so there are these two situations there's the situation where i am told that something bad is happening outside of my world and where i am immediately confronted with something bad happening to my world right in front of me um literally on my doorstep um now, if any of you have studied philosophy uh, and or if any of you are into ethics and are into Australian ethicists and are vegan or vegetarian, um, you may you may have heard of Peter Singer. And Peter Singer has been a very influential presence in my life. Um, he is also a very controversial presence in my life. Um, and so far on this podcast, I have only spoke about the good things that I believe he has done. And I'm very aware of that. Um, and for those of you who are waiting for me to talk about the bad things, um, I will talk about the bad things. But for now, I'm going to talk about another good thing. So Peter Singer um, also kind of spoke about this. He said he came up with this um, famous uh, thought experiment, which isn't Alex's experience problem, but it's, I guess, uh, Peter Singer's lake problem. And the thought experiment goes something like this. Um, you are walking down the road next to a lake and you've just bought this new pair of Balenciaga triple uh, S $1,000 trainers and you're so happy and you know everyone's going to fall in love with you and your capitalist bones are tingling and jumping and... Balenciaga are running happily to the bank and whatever. Um, and then you look over your shoulder, uh, to the lake and you smile because you realize that there is such privilege in the world and you've got these new shoes and there's a lake and whatever. But then you see a a kid, a little kid fall into the lake. Um, and you see the kid go underwater and you see a lot of movement in the water and it's obvious that the kid is drowning. Um, what do you do? Obviously, if you are a reasonable person um, with a with any sense of what it means to have obligations to with okay yeah I was gonna say with you know an understanding of what it means to have obligations to others but really it's kind of beyond that it's just like a basic respect for uh, human life um, 
Uh, if you can, again, like if you can reduce suffering, I believe that most people will reduce suffering. So, um, but here's the catch. You have just spent a thousand dollars on a pair of trainers. Um, and you don't have time to take the trainers off. Do you jump into the lake and save the life of the kid and wreck your trainers? Yes, I absolutely would. I absolutely would. And I would be of a horde. I would be, I would be, uh, I, yeah, I would be so, so shaken if the reason why someone didn't save a child's life or anyone's life was because they didn't want to wreck their sneakers. Okay, so that's one situation. Then then Peter Singer kind of draws a similar situation to the one that I drew in Alex's experience problem, the second one. Sorry, the first one, where there's you hear about something terrible happening overseas. Um, not, not right in front of you, not on your doorstep. Um and uh, Peter Singer says that there is no difference between something happening on your doorstep and something happening far away. Um, and, and he says, we have the, the same moral obligation to minimize harm um, if we can, if it doesn't have a substantial impact on our own well-being. Um, so obviously if you are a person who can afford a $1,000 pair of shoes and not have that severely impact you, your financial or economic status, um, Peter Singer would say, Hey, really that a thousand dollars should be directed elsewhere. Um, you should be directing it towards minimizing suffering because the net, you know, because a bit of, you know, he actually wouldn't say, Maybe he would say that human life is intrinsically valuable, but I guess he would say the net pleasure and happiness in the world will increase with more people alive. So yeah, he would say that there is an intrinsic value to human life because it is productive of pleasure and happiness and good things. Um, okay, so uh, if you haven't fully understood where I'm going, um, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, huh. I don't really know what to say, but really now we have these two different thought experiments. We have mine where, which is pretty much, I was, the the thing I was trying to illustrate was a difference between, uh, geography and proximity. Um, I didn't say anything about moral obligations. I just tried to paint an image of like the different ways that we might respond to hearing bad news of things happening in the world. Um, in Peter Singer's situation with the drowning child, um, Actually, I think that's what it's called, the drowning child experiment, um, which is a really lovely name. Um, we are supposed to learn the lesson of um, of prioritizing the well-being, of, of prioritizing the minimizing of suffering of others over our own material gain. Um, and I believe that's a very important moral and ethical lesson for us to learn. Um, okay. So how does this tie in with the psychology of the coronavirus? Okay. Well, think about the way the West. Okay. Let's, let's just think. So, okay. I guess Australia is in a weird position because, um, we have a small population. We have, we're an extremely wealthy country. We have one of the highest, uh, GDPs per capita in the world. Um, we have a rich government who was able to pull this crazy social welfare stimulus out of their ass. I don't even know where that came from. Um, uh, I guess the U.S. pulled us 
a stimulus package that was three times the size of like the Australian economy, which is crazy. Um, but you know, the U S has a much bigger population. I actually, I haven't, I don't really know of any comparative studies of how much Australia's social welfare stimulus fares compared to America's, but I'd be interested if anyone knows anything about that in terms of like, uh, are they relative to each other? Like if you, if you divide by the number of people in each country, do you end up with a similar number? I, I would be surprised if you did. I imagine Australia would have, um, would have a better social welfare. At least I would hope if Australia's social welfare is ever comparable with America's, we know things are in trouble. Um, and that's not me bragging. That's just saying that America is, uh, America is struggling a lot. Australia is also struggling a lot to take care of the people who need it. But, um, it seems like historically the smaller population, um, has been a big impact on the, uh, availability of, oh, well, just on the, yeah, maybe, I I, I don't know. I'm not an economist. Anyway, um, let's return to the psychology of the thing of the virus. So essentially the thing I've realized is that it's very difficult for people to realize that something bad is happening and that things need to be done until it happens to them. Um, so I was in denial for a long time about the severity of the virus. And I think pretty much everyone I knew was, um, in January and February, it was pretty calm. Uh, maybe towards the end of February, the, it was getting a bit more intense. And then March, everything went wild towards the end of March, everything went really wild. And now, uh, well, what's the date? The 7th of April. Um, things are, uh, still very wild. Um, and we still don't know very much about the virus. There is so much contradictory information. Anyway, anyway, I have realized that it takes people's doorstep being at risk for them to actually believe that something is real. That is the first insight that I've made. Um, that, the, yeah. And I think, I would have a ve- I think someone would have a very hard time arguing otherwise. Um, and I don't know of any research on this kind of stuff. Um, I was saying that Dan- I mentioned the name Daniel Kahneman earlier. Um, and Daniel Kahneman, one of the things that he, uh, one of the things that he demonstrated was that when people decide to do nice things for themselves, like go on a holiday, what they really want is the memory of something happening. Um, they don't want the actual experience itself. And from that, I, I like, I tried to come up, I tried to apply that theory to, um, uh, I tried to apply that to Alex's experience problem, which demonstrates if we apply the coronavirus situation to Alex's experience problem, we notice that Every, pretty much every country has only accepted or has only, or most people are only able to accept that something is really happening if it's right on their doorstep. And that seems to be a really fundamental concern. Like why, why can't we be more, why is it difficult to be proactive about this kind of stuff? Maybe it's, maybe it's got something to do with like, maybe it's not very healthy to be extremely proactive about all of these kinds of things. Um, and what, what do I mean by that? I mean, like maybe evolutionarily, um, those who were, who were kind of 
extremely proactive and concerned about every potential future event. Maybe they're, I don't know, maybe, well, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I don't know. I don't know what reason there could be for us not being able to accept that things are real until they are actually happening to us. Um, and that's a very strange, very strange and weird thing. Anyway, I didn't finish the Daniel Kahneman, um, my comparison to that, but yeah, so he says he showed that people want the experience. People want the memory of having been on holiday rather than the actual experience of the holiday itself, that that's what most people want. Um, and I thought that like, I thought that that was quite strange because I place a lot of importance on myself as an experiencing agent and like, I want to experience things. And as someone who has used antidepressants, um, I did an episode on that. Um, if you're interested, one of the, uh, what are the side effects of the antidepressants were, um, the way that it impacted my experience of things. Uh, and often it made me feel as though I wasn't all well, like my, my conscious experience of the world was kind of dulled or like I was experiencing half of it. And I felt like I was on autopilot. Um, and that was a real concern for me. And I wanted to return to full experience of things. But then like the, the thing about memory is very strange that what people actually want is to remember stuff. So maybe, maybe like, uh, I don't know, maybe like we're not really able to think about, um, experience very well until it's maybe we're not able to translate. We're not able to make good decisions about things, or we struggle to make good decisions about things until we are directly confronted with them and we have no choice, but to experience them. Um, that's kind of the, the intuition that I drew, I think, or maybe, maybe, but like, I don't know. I I'm like quite an anxious person and I spent a lot of time thinking about the potential consequences of things. And I was, I actually wasn't that concerned about the coronavirus until, um, I don't know, like mid February. Um, my mom was very concerned and she kind of predicted that a lot of this was going to happen. And so did my dad. Um, but they are like extremely <laughs> anxious people. Um, and like, I imagined that, you know, they felt similarly about SARS and about Mars. Mars is no, MERS, not Mars. Mars is Elon Musk's planet. Um, MERS is Middle Eastern Respiratory uh, Syndrome. Um, comes from camels. Um, yeah, okay, so that's the first thing. Um, the, the first intuition, the psychological intuition. The second one is uh, that um, I have really changed how I think about myself as like a mind and a body. Um, and what, what the hell does that mean? Well, I have realized that I am actually a body that is responsible for, like that is very responsible for every single output. Um, or that maybe not. Yeah. I am a body that is responsible for every output that I have and make. Um, so Finance, like economically, when I buy something, there are so many effects. I was already aware of this, you know, there's goes to the retailer, then whatever the supplier, then the employee. Um, and then there's all of these, you know, trickle up, trickle down. Um, okay. So there's that, but then there's also my relationship to others. So I had taken 
physical intimacy and closeness for granted my entire life. Um, and I guess, you know, when I say my entire life, really, I mean like over the age of 17 or 18, because I don't really believe that I was very conscious of like what I was until that age. Um, but yeah, I guess like I've realized that like so much of my world comes from being, all of my world comes from being like this conscious body, but also this physical body that like moves through the world um, and can give things to people and can receive from people. Um, and that's just really, I feel like, like oh, that, that sounds like, you know, it's, um, it is what, what, what self-evident. And I guess it like, obviously it is self-evident. I was always, I always knew that I was a, a body. Um, but I really, I really feel like, uh, you know, without, you know, going to the supermarket and coming back from the airport and seeing empty streets and seeing empty, seeing empty shops and stuff, you realize that really the only thing that, or that normal, normalcy today requires bodies and it requires obedient bodies. Um, and Foucault talks a lot about, uh, obedient bodies. He calls them docile bodies. Um, and I re- I think, I think again, Foucault is, is just, I, I'm amazed that he was able to make, have these insights into capitalism and the way it forms us, but pretty much a docile, what he meant by the docile body was that we by like the, um, superior powers, um, uh, the government, the law, police, parents, uh, teachers, doctors, um, if you haven't, if this is kind of sounding unfamiliar, I would recommend listening to my episode on Foucault. Um, that kind of lays uh, the strong, a strong kind of foundation for understanding his philosophy. Um, uh, yeah, so, um, but yeah, I guess the idea of a docile body is that we kind of, uh, we have very little autonomy over who we choose to be and we're just kind of um, squashed into this shape that is consistent with capitalism and is consistent with consumption. And now that body has been totally liberated um, because we can't really, we can't consume in the way we did before. We can't even like as a like romantic and sexual body, we can't do so much of what we used to do. Um, And yeah, I, I think, I think, I have, I've been made a lot more aware of, um, how, how I, uh, how I am a body <clears throat> that, um, that exists in and around others, um, and in this world, uh, and being in isolation does weird things to my sense of being a body because I often forget that I'm like a body because and I, I often forget that there are actually real, like real people outside. Um, I f- yeah. And I think that that's, I was about to say, I feel isolated, but like, what the hell, obviously. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, that second thing I don't feel was as clear as the first insight. So I guess to recap, the first insight I had was that it's very difficult for us to convince ourselves that things are real until they're on our doorstep. And the second insight was that, um, I have, I have noticed 
how important uh, it is to be aware of your body and how it is being pushed and nudged to fit certain shapes, uh, both in terms of what's expected, what, you know, what is considered beautiful, um, but also in terms of how we're supposed to act in society to continue consuming, um, and how all of these things are being questioned and turned on their head by this virus. So, uh, yeah, those are two, two kind of intuitions that I've had recently. Um, cool. Okay. Uh, I think, I think that's, I think that's pretty much it. Um, maybe I guess there was one thing that I wanted to kind of gesture to, but I didn't really know how to talk about it. And that was three things like price gouging and panic buying and the really frightening increase in requests to buy guns in the state that I live in, in Victoria. I think there were 2,200 claims last week, which is like, I don't know. I heard the police commissioner talking a huge increase. Um, Australia has, uh, Australia has quite a, a, um, good stance on guns. Um, there was, uh, what's it called? An armistice. I've forgotten the word, um, where, where like, there was, there was a mass shooting, um, and, uh, after that mass shooting, the government said, Hey, bring your, bring all of your guns illegal or legal to this place. We'll buy them off you and you won't get like a kind of, you won't be punished. And since then it's been very difficult to acquire. At least I believe it's very difficult to acquire guns. I don't know anyone who has a gun. I don't know anyone who knows anyone who has a gun. Um, yep. And I guess the insight that I was going to make was that people are really panicking, (laughs) but like, obviously people are really panicking, um, because you know, they're panic buying as well. Um, and I also like, I was concerned that, uh, yeah, people like genuinely thought that there was going to be a, a shortage of things like toilet paper and they were going to like have to use violence, like re like really awful violence, not that violence. Yeah to get their hands on that kind of stuff. And then price gouging is like a a weird consequence of times of economic instability where, um, prices are super overinflated. So like I wanted to buy some gym equipment and I went on, um, the, I tried to find some on the internet. It's all sold out. And then I went onto eBay and everything on eBay is like 10 times the price. Like for like, I don't know, a two kilo dumbbell, it's like $500 or something outrageous. Um, cool. Uh, yeah. So, um, if you enjoyed this episode, well, Hey, first of all, thanks for listening. Um, I hope you, I hope you're able to draw some cool insights from this. Um, and you were able to, yeah, have a think about, um, yeah. Like, do you, do you agree with me? Do you, do you like these insights? Do you feel like I've, I've been misled by my brain. If you do get in contact, regardless, get in contact, you know where I am. Alex listens, um, Instagram. I don't know why I keep saying it like that. Um, yeah. Otherwise, uh, like, like send, send the episode to a friend or something, send it to someone who you think is cool and who will enjoy it. Um, otherwise leave a review on iTunes and support me on Patreon. Anyway, thanks for listening. Bye. Okay, kinda like a travel down a one way There's no way to 
stuff feeling okay it's not great it's more like i'm great all day whether i like it or not i'm not complaining i'm just saying that i'm okay with being broken telling my folks i got no pay and that's probably because i spent it all on both way but i didn't i just told you that i did because i thought that it was okay to lie like why should i care if i'm not what you like i'm more rick and mortified yeah the more i say i'm okay the more i feel you feel okay okay yeah you don't understand my vocabs okay you know i don't play with more weight save my rosé for some other day when i don't feel okay i just drink oh so i got ambition but the rain no money in this business 